Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Each year, Bessler produces a summary of the OPPS final rule, and this year is no different. Joining me to talk about some of that is Vincent Mitchell, who is a senior reimbursement consultant here at Bessler. Vincent, welcome to the program. Uh, Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm great. This is your first time on, and we are happy to have you. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast, and thank you to everyone who's joining us for today's podcast. Well, Vincent, um, obviously, there's so much that goes on in the OPPS final rule. We can't cover it all here, but you've done a very nice job in, in summarizing some of the key themes. And uh, so why, why don't we just start out with some some basic information for the audience. Uh, each year, uh, the rates are, are always updated in the rule. And this year, of course, again, is no different. Um, so why don't you tell us about the updates to the OPPS and ASC payment rules for this year? Well, okay, Mike, uh, both payment updates are based on the final hospital inpatient market basket percentage increase, which was 3% under IPPS. The next step is to reduce it by 0.4 percentage point adjustment mandated by the Affordable Care Act, resulting in a 2.6% increase for both the OPPS, outpatient department fee schedule, and the ASC payment rate. Total estimated payments, including beneficiary cost sharing related to OPPS providers, was about $79 billion, or an increase of $6.3 billion over fiscal year 2019. Total estimated payments, including beneficiary cost sharing to ASC providers, equals approximately $4.96 billion, or an increase of $230 million over over fiscal year 2019. Excellent. Thank you for that that very concise overview of the rates. And Vincent, as, as you read the rule and took a look at the material that CMS published, it seems like there's a, a specific theme around increasing choices for patients, and there's some specific uh, ideas within the rule uh, that they put forward that, that you want to talk about here uh, because they foster that goal. So the, the first of those is uh, updates to the, to the two midnight rule. Why don't you tell us about that? Okay, Mike. Well, one, one just to throw it out there, I'm going to approach it from the standpoint of giving the listeners and everyone a little bit of context and then, of course, presenting what the final rule states. So in, related, in relation to the two midnight rule, short and patient stays, the two midnight rule provides general guidance or acts as a benchmark for determining that determining that an inpatient admission and payment is appropriate. Generally speaking, the inpatient admission is based on the physician's judgment that the patient requires services that will result in a stay that crosses two midnights, hence the two midnight rule. There are exceptions that include surgical procedures designated on op- under OPPS as IPO or inpatient-only procedures, which are appropriate for inpatient admission regardless of their length of stay, and inpatient admissions where the attending physician doesn't expect the patient's stay to meet the two-midnight rule, but the medical records documentation supports an inpatient admission. 
And this was addressed in the fiscal year 2016 final rule. There are four criteria applied to consider related to stays less than two midnights, which include, include complex medical factors such as inpatients, such as the patient's medical history and comorbidities, severity of signs and symptoms, current medical needs and risk of adverse events. CMS also considers that there may be rare and unusual exceptions, such as a patient is admitted as an inpatient and leaves against medical advice or clinical improvement occurs. These events must be properly documented in the medical records for appropriate consideration. Two additional entities that come into play in the review of short stays are beneficiary and family-centered care quality improvement organizations. For purposes of this discussion, we'll call them QROs, and they are responsible, responsible for conducting inpatient status reviews to determine appropriateness for Part A payment of short-stay hospitals claims based on admission order requirements and the two midnight rule as a benchmark. They may also refer providers to the recovery audit contractors who may conduct patient status reviews based on abusive or non-compliant behavior related to billing short-stay claims or failure to, follow, to improve following QIO education and training efforts. As, previous, as previously discussed, procedures on the OPPS inpatient-only list are not subject to the two-midnight rule. However, the two-midnight rule is applicable when procedures are removed from the IPO list. This final rule determined that procedures placed on the OPPS inpatient-only list would be exempt for two years beginning January 1st, 2020 from site of service denials, referrals by the QIOs to recovery audit contractors and our RAC auditors and RAC audit patient status reviews for site of service denials. CMS expects the following benefits from the two-year exemption. It allows providers to adjust their current practices related to these procedures, allows them to update their provider billing practices. It allows providers to understand the availability of payment under both the inpatient and outpatient settings because removal from the IPO list does not preclude an inpatient status being assigned to the claim. It also allows education and provides guidance to the broader provider community. And it identifies patient selection criteria and protocols surrounding uh, the two midnight rule. One final note. QIOs will continue to review the claims for purposes of providing learning and providing education and feedback to the providers related to documentation requirements for Part A payments. In relation to compliance with medical necessity and medical necessity of site of service, and QIOs will still deny claims for services that are determined not reasonable or medically necessary. In summary, procedures removed from the IPO list will be exempt from the two midnight rule with respect to site of service for two years following the removal on January the 1st, 2020, beginning on January the 1st, 2020.
Great. Thank you for that thorough review there, Vincent. Um, the second area that you identified and wanted to talk about um, regarding increasing patient choice uh, is changes to the inpatient-only list itself, which you, you mentioned a little bit here during the two midnight rule. Why don't you tell us about that? Okay. Before we proceed with this discussion, I'm going to throw out a couple of things that uh, are some factors to consider that CMS looks at to make the final determination of whether to remove a procedure from the IPO list. These factors will come into play a little bit later in the discussion. So CMS has five criteria that it applies to determine if a procedure can be performed in an outpatient setting. One, are most outpatient departments are equipped are most outpatient departments equipped to provide the services? Two, can the simplest procedure described by the code be performed in an outpatient setting? Three, is the procedure related to codes already removed from the IPO list? Four, is the procedure currently being performed in numerous hospitals on an outpatient basis? And five, can the procedure be appropriately and safely performed in an ASC setting, and is it on the list of ASC procedures, or has it been proposed for addition to the ASC list? A few additional comments that are important considerations in this process and will be highlighted, be highlighted in a moment are, the procedure under review does not have to meet all the criteria. The procedure does not have to be performed in an outpatient setting just because it is removed from the IPO list. That decision is based on the attending physician's clinical judgment. And as you remember, we just discussed the two midnight rule exemption for two years. It is applicable related to the uh, services that are removed from the IPO list. Finally, once removed from the IPO list, the procedure is assigned an APC category for coding purposes. So in regards to changes, against the preceding backdrop, a great case study on this process is the one procedure that was removed related to CPT code 27130 of the total hip arthroplasty, which most of us come to call a total hip replacement. CPT code 27130 and CPT code 27125, which is a partial hip arthroplasty, have been discussed between CMS and various stakeholders for numerous years. These stakeholders include specialty societies, physicians, orthopedic surgeons, ASCs, hospital systems and associations, and beneficiaries. Interesting enough, both of these procedures were on the original IPO list back in 2001. Some of the points made by the stakeholders in support of removing these procedures from the IPO list included Notice significant, some stakeholders noticed significant success for same-day surgeries for patients that met appropriate screening criteria. The approach allowed for significant enhancement to patient well-being, shorter hospital stays resulting in fewer medical complications, ability to achieve post-operative goals allowing for home discharge by end of the day, improved overall results, and cost savings to the Medicare program. Of course, some stakeholders opposed, I'm sorry, opposed to removing the procedures based on lack of information and experience from the non-Medicare population concerning the, pa the patient safety profile, high risk of fractures, subject to suffer more com 
comorbidities require closer monitoring. The point is that in the aggregate, there were numerous com commenters, both supporting and opposing, removing THA and PHA from the IPO list. CMS presented its own findings, indicated that both procedures, total hip replacement and partial hip replacement, or THA and PHA, should consider the following patient profiles. Relatively low anesthesia risk, no significant comorbidities, family members at home that can provide support, ability to tolerate post-op, outpatient rehab or outpatient uh, rehab at home. CMS fi CMS's final decision following consideration of all the comments received over the years in, in combination with its own consultation with clinical advisors was again to remove CPT code 27130 or the total hip replacement. The final decision was based on weighing the five criteria that we discussed at the beginning of this section, and CMS determined that the THA or total hip replacement met two of the criteria. Those two were simplest procedure described by the code may be, perform may be performed in an outpatient setting, and the procedures related to codes already removed from the IPO list i.e. knee replacement. The THA procedure will be assigned a CPT, APC code, I'm sorry, APC code 5115. One note to make is that um, the partial hip replacement was determined not to meet the criteria for removal and is consequently still on the IPO list. A couple of more points I just want to quickly throw out. Medicare would now pay for total hip replacement to be performed in either an outpatient or inpatient setting based on the physician's clinical judgment. Again, CMS supported ensuring that beneficiaries receive the proper care in the proper setting to meet their individual needs. And the provider is exempt from the two midnight rule for two years and consequently, payment will not be denied due to site of service and the provider will not be referred to the recovery auditor noncompliance area with site of regarding site of service. These were concerns raised by the uh, stakeholders and addressed accordingly by CMS. Thanks, Vincent. Um, there's just two more areas we're going to cover with regard to this particular topic. And that next one is uh, the method to control unnecessary increases in utilization of outpatient services. That's a theme that they've touched on before. Um, why don't you tell us about that? Okay, Mike. CMS implemented what it considers a method to control what it considers is unnecessary, accepted, or uh, what they call grandfather provider-based departments, clinical visits, which are really off-site off campus, off-site hospital outpatient facility clinical visits. This designation was originally created with the objective of improving the quality of care offered to Medicare, the Medicare population by increasing beneficiary access to services and increasing the integration of care by the provider. They're allowed to build Medicare as a hospital outpatient department. The payments are often 50% more than the payment to a freestanding facility or physician office. It should be noted that the increased payment is shared by the Medicare beneficiary in the form of higher co-pays. 
CMS cited the following statistics to support its position to reduce payments. It projected an increase in OPPS spending of $5 billion to $75 billion from fiscal year 2018 through fiscal year 2019. CMS went on to state that this was two times the total estimated spending in fiscal year 2008. Based on MedPAC data, which is the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, OPPS program spending combined with beneficiary cost sharing increased 51% from 2011 to 2016, or from 39.8 billion to 60 billion, which is an 8.6% annual increase. MedPAC also noted in 2018 that a large source of the growth was a shift from services being provided in physician offices to hospital outpatient departments. CMS deemed this shift unnecessary and determined to remove, again, what it termed, the payment incentive that it believed to be driving this increase as opposed to quality of care decisions. Reducing the payments made for HICSPIX code G0463, which is hospital outpatient clinic visit for assessment and management, is the method CMS chose to reduce the clinic visits. In this rule, CMS addresses continuing its two-year phase approach by applying the total reduction in current year 2020 and paying these visits based on the physician fee schedule, which is 60% less, I'm sorry, 60% less than the previous OPPS payment. This payment reduction is expected to result in a reduction of $14 per visit for the beneficiary and an overall cost savings of $650 million to the Medicare program for 2020. CMS is also implementing this reduction in a, bu bu a budget-neutral manner, which results in the savings not being applied on other areas in the OPPS program. Its basis for this, this decision is consistent with its theme in this area of not incentivizing provider-based departments to simply increase other unnecessary services based on shifted payment incentives. CMS expects this change to provide the beneficiary more options at a lower cost to both the beneficiary and the program. As you can imagine, there were both opposition and support for this rule. Some commenters supported the decision and their comments were consistent with CMS's position. Others opposed the decision and stated the increase in the use of provider-based departments was warranted based on issues such as the hospital readmission reduction program, hospital value-based purchasing, the two-midnight two rule, and patient characteristics, including more severe chronic conditions, higher prior utilization of hospital and emergency departments, and advanced ages. One final twist, but an important note to make, is that some of the commenters brought up CMS should not move forward based on the current, on the recent decision handed down by the U.S. District, District Court of Columbia. And it was handed down on September the 17th, 2019, that vacated the 2019 payment reduction. CMS acknowledged this ruling with the following responses. It would comply with the ruling 
and the effect of 2019 claims will be paid consistent with the ruling or paid at 100% of the OPPS rate. However, they mentioned that they are also considering their appeal rights and determined to move forward, the, forward with the phase in in the fiscal year 2020 while considering their rights related to the ruling. In summary, there may be a lot more to come related to this issue. Very interesting. And Vincent, the last area we're going to cover is ASC covered procedures uh, list and, and what's on that and maybe not what's on that going forward. Okay, Mike. Well, to briefly address this area, CMS performs a little bit of background. CMS performs annual reviews to identify covered procedures that may be appropriate to be provided in an ASC and, re and receive Medicare payment caused by the provider. CMS evaluates whether the procedures are expected to propose, excuse me, expected to, to pose a significant risk to beneficiary safety based on regulatory safety criteria, such as procedures that generally result in extensive blood loss if they are performed in the ASC setting. Expectations of whether the beneficiaries require medical monitoring and care at midnight following procedure or whether they require an overnight stay is also considered. Additionally, in the fiscal year 2019 final rule, CMS expanded its definition of surgical, surgical procedures to include surgery-like procedures assigned codes outside of the surgery CPT range. This, this definition was further modified in fiscal year 2020 to include procedures that are clinically similar and meet the other criteria previously discussed. The applicable ASC procedures are then added to the ASC covered procedures list based on this review and evaluation process. For current year 2020, CMS added two CPT codes, 27477 and 29A67, related to total knee arthroplasty or total knee, total knee replacement. And they added six CPT codes related to coronary intervention procedures, 92921, 92921, 92928, for the actual list of those codes. One additional interesting bit of information that is included in the rule relates to a website CMS previously created that allows beneficiaries to review pricing and potential cost savings between the services provided in the hospital outpatient setting and the ASC. The website address is www.medicare.gov forward slash procedure price lookup. And a brief example related to the total knee replacement is that when you compare the coinsurance amount based on total charges, in, the ASC, in an ASC, it is estimated to be $1,721.83 based on total charges of 8,609.17 versus the hospital setting, outpatient setting would be, the coinsurance amount would be $2,379.88 based on total charges of $11,899.39. But 
based on, because of the statutory cap limit, the out-of-pocket coinsurance to the beneficiary in the hospital outpatient setting would be $1,364 as opposed to the $1,722 coinsurance payment made in ASC setting, making it actually less costly for the beneficiary absent any secondary insurance. In summary, the focus for CMS is to continue to promote site neutrality where possible between the hospital outpatient department and the ASC. They also acknowledge that each, each patient's clinical characteristics play an important role in the site of service decision. Vincent, very thorough analysis today. I appreciate that, and I'm sure the audience does as well. And of course, we've only just touched on uh, part of our overall analysis from the OPPS final rule. If you'd like to read that analysis in its entirety, you can go to Bessler.com forward slash 2020 OPPS, and there'll be some slides there and other resources for you uh, that you can look through and uh, get the entire uh, analysis uh, from Bessler. Vincent, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and for your very thorough analysis of the OPPS final rule. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about it. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.